it's hard and and it's it's something it's a decision though around you know what you're good at what you like doing and then how far do you go and you every role's got things you like and things you dislike and roles come in the way i describe them to people that come with characteristics and you have to make a decision of what's right for you because it's not necessarily going up in the organization sometimes you know, step back and do something different or interesting or or do it for a period of time the reason i tell the story about sandra is you can go back at any time if you have the skills there is a path back to then keep succeeding my view is talented people succeed regardless when they start when they finish and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future program, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Duncan Hewitt is an industry champion for the representation of women in business and technology. Focused on achieving actionable results for gender diversity in the workplace, he has consistently driven acceleration for women across leadership levels. In the past, Duncan led VMware's business in Asia Pacific and Japan and has left quite a legacy behind. In 2008, Duncan launched VM Inclusion Tara, a program that has helped tens of thousands of women to upskill and regain confidence, enabling them to rejoin the workforce. His book, Accelerating Women, the Key to Growth and Innovation, published last year. The Women of the Future programme were delighted to have Duncan speak at their inaugural Asia Pacific Summit in 2021. I was actually born in London, Walton on Thames. And uh, so, yeah, started in the UK and my parents decided to immigrate to Australia. So I actually grew up in Australia, went to, I don't know, five different primary schools before going to high school. And um, I guess part of the experience of growing up with a British accent in Australia is you get a fair amount of... uh, Teasing and everything else for a British accent, particularly in this country, around talking funny. So I've lived here a long time now, so I've got a very Australian accent. What was school like for you? What were you like as a student? Were you very academic? Did you excel in any particular area? Um, I was one of those students, I was really good at maths. So anything to do with numbers and then struggled with English and the interesting part was I actually got into a selective high school. So that was hyper competitive. And I guess what was interesting for me growing up was they used to rank us on every subject, every term, what position in the form you came and what your mark was. Mm. And then parents got to see it. So I can remember you know, bringing a report card home and I came second in the form out of on maths. 
and I came 124th out of 127 in English. That wow. didn't go down well. <laughs> <laughs> was there any part that you were struggling with, do you think, with the English side? Because you've gone on now clearly to excel quite significantly within that area. So what was it for you? Was there anything that was holding you back? Uh, interest. <laughs> probably. <the first. laughs> quite important. Um, quite important. And I guess that's sort of, as you get older, you realise actually how critical that is. I mean, I'm fortunate. I've got three grown-up kids. And um, you realise actually doing stuff that you enjoy actually is critical. Mm. And once you get some momentum on something, it makes a difference. So, yeah, you know, very competitive high school. So I was nowhere near a top student on anything else but maths. And I got better, actually, as I went through. I actually learned how to learn. Right. Um, so I did better at university and then did better again when I got to an MBA program. So what was your first kind of foray into the working world? Did you have part-time jobs? Did you work in a bar or retail or, you know, did you do bits and bobs alongside your education? And then I suppose eventually after education, what was your first proper job? Um, I think, and I only realised later, actually, my parents didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, I wanted a car, so I went out working. So I started, my first job was actually in a rose nursery, okay. which I worked in every holidays for probably three years, you know, with one of the guys that had trained in Kew Gardens. Ah. Um, you know, running a rose nursery. And then I worked on building sites. I was a tennis coach because I was oh. a decent tennis player at the time. Yeah, I lost to any guys that were any good but, um, <laughs> and then realised I really wasn't at that level. And then I ended up tutoring maths through university to okay. you know, support putting petrol in a car and fixing it and everything else. My first proper job was as an engineer for IBM fixing mainframe computers back when they weighed about six tonnes and, you know, great big water cool. <laughs> it's changed a little bit now, hasn't it? For sure. The whole <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. The water cooled bit actually came back eventually when they got powerful enough. So tell me more about what you're doing now, how you got there, what it encompasses, all of that kind of thing. So today I actually lead VMware for Asia Pacific and Japan. I've got a team of about three and a half thousand. And I've been leading them for the last five and a half years. So I started as an engineer and here I am running a software business. So VMware <laughs> a US software company. It's actually the fifth largest in the world. And that path on the way through actually has gone through many different things and led me to live in Shanghai for uh, a couple of years and be based out of Shanghai for four and a half years, live in Singapore for five years and use an enormous number of pages in passports. I, lots my of wife stamps in there. <laughs> there used to be lots of stamps, but my, my wife estimated I've actually spent nine years out of the country in the last 16. Oh, wow. That's Physically impressive. on the road, in front of customers, with the team. And a job of a leader is to actually be there with your team and help coach. Mm. So. It's really important. And how has that impacted on your family life? Because you said you have children and obviously you're married. How have you managed that? I guess that was a discussion Kathy and I had quite early on. And it's actually a really, really critical point because you can't do it on your own. Not, mm. not when you're away that much. And particularly senior roles are, are not very forgiving. 
in terms of time and effort and commitment to it. And so we did have discussions around, do I keep doing this sort of thing or, or do I do something different? Mm. I mean, she was uh, a leader in a chartered accounting firm. I said, do you want to go back and be a, a partner? And she actually said, no. <laughs> um, and fortunately, she's, you know, the CEO, the CFO and the chief operations officer that runs and supported the household and supported me on the way. <laughs> I like um, and that. without that, I couldn't have done it. It's a 70, 80 hour a week commitment mm. for most CEO roles and particularly in high growth, intense industries. They, they just, it just takes a lot. And how do you feel about that kind of sacrifice? Because I speak to women on this podcast who are looking to be trailblazers and to you know, be mm. exceptional within their fields. And you just spoken then, I suppose, about maybe a stereotype that you know your wife has supported you. And I'm sure there are an awful lot of men who are husbands out there who have supported their spouses. But how have you found that sacrifice? Because there must have been really important integral parts of your kids' upbringing and things that you probably weren't there for. And how does that sit with you? Because as women, it's a different kind of conversation. So it'd be nice to hear your take on it. Um, actually, it's the same for my peers who are women leaders. I mean, Katrina, who I know, her husband's brought up the three boys. If you want to get to this sort of level, they, they're just really, really intense roles. Mm. And you need, you need someone to manage it. At a luncheon, actually, I met a lady called Sandra, and she was a chairwoman of a listed company. She had three kids. She actually went back into the workforce at 41 mm. with a supportive husband at home and then ended up by 53 as the chairwoman. Wow. Um, That's she was seriously impressive. Yeah. But it's around, I mean, how do you make it work? And I think that supportive partner bit's absolutely critical if you're going to, you know, kids and all the other things. I actually made every wedding anniversary and every birthday. Now, sometimes I wasn't very functional complying <laughs> back on that was, day, but yeah. I got there. I, I actually, and then sometimes <laughs> I then flew out the next day if I had to, but I would change my schedule to get there for, wow. for every birthday. Now, that doesn't mean I knew who their teacher was. <laughs> Um, and fair it's hard and, and it's, it's something, it's a decision though, around, you know, what you're good at, yeah. what you like doing, and then how far do you go? And you, every role's got things you like and things you dislike and roles come in the way I describe them to people that come with characteristics and you have to make a decision of what's right for you. Because it's not necessarily going up in the organisation. Sometimes you know, step back and do something different or interesting or, or do it for a period of time. The reason I tell the story about Sandra is you can go back at any time. If you have the skills, there is a path back to then keep succeeding. My view is talented people succeed regardless of when they start and when they finish. And you have become an industry champion for the representation of women in business and tech. And you have developed VM Inclusion Tara. And that's about giving women the chance to upskill and regain confidence to get back into the technology sector. And you've helped over 11,000 women and had 1,500 return to work as a part of this scheme. And 
one of the questions that I ask on this podcast is, is, is there a standout moment or person that's helped mold your interests? And I was just really curious as to what has motivated you to take on this kind of role at such a high profile level. Well, let me update your numbers a little bit oh, because okay. I've, just come off, I've just come off a review a few hours back. We've now helped over 3,600 women back into the workforce in India. Well done, we that's amazing. We have 15,000 women in the program and just gone past 22 million social media hits Woo-hoo. in India. That's incredible. Congratulations. So now when I talk to customers, I say Tara and they know what it is. It's that's got brilliant. that much presence. What made you want to do it? Was there a, a trailblazing woman in your life or did you just want to help enable people and give them the tools? Was there a moment or was it just your own personal passion? The, the turning point for me was actually I had a role leading a team about 270 and it was about 15 or so, 16 years ago. And there were 13 women leaders in the team and two men. So it was a unique experience just to inherit this team that had a gender diversity that's like nothing I've ever had before or had since. And that was, I mean, it was a learning experience for them, I'm sure, because I'm still in contact with a number of them and I mentor a couple of them. But it was a tremendous turning point for me. There was a few things I learned. One is shut up and listen. (laughs) Um, I didn't actually need to solve things. I just needed to be there. And then when asked, I could provide additional ideas, but I didn't actually have to solve things, mm. which I can tell you as a man, we like fixing stuff. <laughs> and, and I didn't have to. And I'd actually, the more I got out of the way and the more I listened, the better we did. And, and we blew away the worldwide results for the next two years. And it was a sort of a whole changing experience for me. And from there, it's sort of like, hmm, then I need to operate differently. And if I operate differently, there's this talent pool that's overlooked actually in most organisations. So that sort of was a start of a journey that's been going on for me for sort of 15 or 16 years. The Tara one was interesting because I was doing a women in technology session in Bangalore, 250 women. Now, Indian women are smart, well-educated and ask what's on their mind. So I'm sitting on stage and they're really, they're hammering me with questions. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the ladies, Padmini, in the front row asked this question. She said, I've got a 15-year-old daughter. Is there a long future to go into IT? You know, would you recommend my daughter go into the IT industry or is it something she'll join and then leave? because it's just not compatible and it moves so fast. And I did a really bad job answering the question. But that night I'm flying on the red eye from Bangalore back to Singapore, and it just bothered me around that question sort of said, well, we're doing something wrong. So I wrote a crazy idea at 2.30 a.m. and I sent it to four women leaders on my team and they came back and said, it's not stupid. And so that was April 2018. I'm personally involved in the monthly reviews of this program. I've invested money around marketing. We actually do Google ads. So 7,000 women have joined the program because we do Google ads at a certain time of day in between when the kids have gone to school Mm. and when they start coming home. 
we do five or six different keywords and we tap into all these women that leave the workforce between years three and eight and don't come back. And so you end up with this industry that's sort of 22 to 28% women, yet there's 45% graduating from STEM. Mm. They get lost. So it started, I've got to be honest, it started from a, can we do something different? Where it's lent to is women have a confidence issue. It's not about skills. Yes, it's an upskilling program, but the upskilling program really is about regaining confidence to rejoin the workforce. And it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of. I mean, it, mm. when you read their stories, there's a book, an e-book that you can download and read. I can't make it past about the third story before crying. It just, like, this changes their lives. So, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to be part of and we're expanding it. How has the reception been in it coming from a man? Because I was really intrigued because your book came out last year, in December of last year, which is Accelerating Women the key to growth and innovation and it's split into four parts which is amazingly helpful but how has the reception been as a man in leadership and senior leadership like you say in, initially you emailed your women colleagues at the similar level to you I would assume to try and see if there was buy-in or interest or if you were along the right lines in the first instance but how have you been received? Actually the role of male allies is really really critical because in most cases, we're a majority. So we, we actually have to lean in and do something mm. different. And I guess the reason, um, I actually, one of my team who handles communication, Hamangi, I blame her because she actually asked me one day. Mm. She said, with all these things you're doing, why don't you write a book about it? And that sort of sat in the back of my mind. And it was around okay, we've done all these things. We've moved gender diversity and the leadership team went from one woman out of 22 to eight. So we have a different diversity in the team. We have different diversity across VMware. But what can I do to get all managers and leaders to step up a level? Mm. And so it's my attempt to try and provide tools, techniques, stories to get everyone to lift upper level and start doing some things different because you genuinely have to operate differently it's my attempt it's the best I can do it's um, brilliant that then, you are though because I'm not sure that I don't know I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience obviously as to where everyone <laughs> speaks from but I don't it's not my experience that there are men like you out there so it's applaudable and I'm enormously grateful that you're doing what you're doing but Across all the work you've done so far, and I know you've given us a few anecdotes, is there anything or one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? Um, I guess, I mean, Tara is one of them, but just even simple things around being able to build informal networks, connecting women together and watching them grow and, you know, get promotions or having the opportunity, and I frame it as an opportunity, where women actually come and trust me enough to say, here's what I'm worried about. And it's okay to have emotion in the workplace. And so I get these amazing stories of, you know, things they're going through and I, I don't know how they do it. 
They're trying to manage family. They're trying to manage a career. They're trying to manage a partner. They're worried around how the parents will see and all of these things together. And to be, I guess, a trusted advisor that they mm. open up to and say, this is what's causing me, I'm struggling, and then help. Yeah. And it's just been a pleasure. I mean, that's how I ran across Women of the Future because there's another male ally, John Lombard, who does yes. a fantastic job in NTT. So he told Pinky about me and I got a call <laughs> with Pinky. you in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know how it works. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And, and then it just sort of moved on from there. But there is a network of people who are trying to make a difference. My goal is, can I scale that? Mm. And I read that you mentor, is it 30 people? Are you still mentoring 30 people? Because where do you find the time? That sounds, you've got a busy job, you're doing all of this extracurricular stuff. Where do you find the time? Um, a week ago, so one of my colleagues from 25 years ago rang and said, I'm considering a career change and can I just have some of your time? So actually what happens is you end up building a relationship. I have mentoring ones that I, I actually have on a schedule that I do every month. And I have others that come and reach out because they know there's a trusted space that they can come and just yeah. express their feelings and what they're worried about. And that's the goal. So it varies actually significantly. And it's really surprised that relationship you build and understanding just that opportunity to help someone is, um, yeah, it's still come back 25 years later, a week <laughs> ago. Now, I was saying contact over the years, but coming and asking career advice around, I'm thinking about this, what about this, and I'm worried about this, and the kids of this age, because it's more than just work, because yeah. it, it all's got to fit together. And that's the whole package, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what makes it interesting. Just a pleasure, actually. And you've mentioned that you've done a bit of work with the Women of the Future programme so far. How important do you think organisations like the Women of the Future or women's networks and the connections and you know, the cultivation of relationships that they do in this space, how important do you think that is? I think it's critical because it's got to have a voice and it's got to become more visible. So the communication that's involved and allowing connections, there are other people going through the same experience as you. Now, whether that's Lean In or it's Women of the Future or there's a whole series of different networks together. Here in Singapore, there's AWARE, which has done some really good stuff around trying to raise the impact of gender diversity. We're a long way from it. I mean, my simple one is organizations should reflect society so that means it's 50 50 and most are a long way from it and most are actually not even improving that fast per year but i think the statistic i heard is the average is between 0.4 and 0.6 percent improvement in gender diversity per year that's downright depressing it's a bit depressing <laughs> now you know we managed 2.2 last year on three and a half thousand people yeah. So we made progress, but even at 2.2, it's still a long time to get to equality. And you know, that's a massive amount of talent that goes missing. So if you could tap into that talent, it would add to any business. 
Right, I have some quick fire questions for you just to finish. Here we go. What would you describe as your greatest success? Uh, it's still to come, actually. Oh, I like that answer. And your greatest failure? Uh, I'm probably disappointed it took me 20 years to get to the point to realise that there was a talent pool around women that you could do something different and operate. It took me a long time. It comes from experience, though, surely, that you were exposed to these situations that then fed into what you're doing now. Yeah, and, but it, you know, it's a little disappointing that sort of said I got through the first you know, 20 <laughs> years of the career and then went, oh. oh ac actually, yeah. <laughs> we're missing a trick here and mm -hmm. it's half half the world's population <laughs> 51 percent, actually just over yeah well that's because we die early but um <laughs> true. it's true okay so the mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration what does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life i guess this is where just at a really simple it's being able to deal with people for who they are you know, this is about engaging with people. And some people say it's kindness, but it's actually, I mean, I honestly don't care what role you have. Whether you're the cleaner, you have a role to help make our workplace in today's environment even more important. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that piece around just engaging with people to understand. If you understand, then you can probably help. And that whole engagement and, I mean, I really like it, actually, the, the whole concept of kindness and collaboration, because that old mode of, you know, stand up, yell at people, four-letter words. I mean, I've lived through it as a senior exec. You know, I mean, I've had New York Italians on a review call that, for me, was 1am being yelled at mm. with expletives for 15 minutes about how stupid I am. Oh, um, and, and it's like, really? It, it just it doesn't work it doesn't get the best out of people and people don't learn they just shut down so hopefully it's going because it should I mean things like me too you know brave people who spoke up really brave but they've changed the world is there anything that scares you yeah and to not keep learning I think it's one of the you know, keeps the brain active, but more than anything, it's around. There's just so much. I mean, I never have enough time. <laughs> but yeah, just being able to keep learning, and you know, these days being able to spend some time with my adult kids, given I was away a lot, so they're a pleasure to be around. Oh, that's lovely. What is left on your to-do list? Um, I wrote the book not because I thought I could make a difference. Uh, on my to-do list is around actually how to get it out in front of enough people and how do I help change enough people's approach to the way they engage and lead and manage and work with women because there's a lot that needs to change. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to invest my time and more of it actually around supporting gender diversity over the next few years. 
thank you so much Duncan it's been really lovely and refreshing speaking to you and if people are interested in your book it's Accelerating Women the Key to Growth and Innovation and you can get that from all bookshops and everywhere it's on working through that process it's on Kindle <laughs> Amazon at a worldwide level and Brilliant. um it's in the Singapore bookshops and it comes out in the Australian bookshops on the 1st of February. It's in Malaysia. We're working on the UK. Okay. Hold fire. Um, <laughs> that's a new experience. And I guess that's what I mean by learning. For me, yeah. publishing a book and working with publishers and editors, it's a whole new world I've never Absolutely. had any of. Really I've is. never written thing before either Look, i'm so, very yeah. excited to see it so thank you so yeah. much for taking the time to speak to me today and thank you for all that you do it's hugely oh. appreciated oh, thank you kim it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.